Welcome to the Cobra Cast with the present VP. For this episode, we would like to thank these valued partners. Is your scratched window ruining your view? Starting from scratch to your experts at removing scratches from windows and any glass surface. Whether it's general scratches around the home or a knife graffiti tag shop front, they can remove it. They're also helping the environment by saving the window from being dumped into landfill while bringing the glass back to its former glory without the scratches. Don't replace your scratched window. Repair it with Starting From Scratched, your glass and scratch removal specialist for home, shop fronts and cars. Call today for a quote, 87595629 or find out more at startingfromscratch.com.au. All right, welcome to the Cobra Castle, the Prez and VP. I'm the host, Ricky Rifty, the Prez Logan. Got my co-host, Ricky at Dog VP Etridge. Welcome to the show and welcome back at Dog. What's going uh, on, man? Geez, not a lot, mate. Not a lot. It's a Saturday evening doing these. And as I said to you beforehand, mate, it's taken me all day, but I'm finally feeling half decent today. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's, that's, uh... that's what happens when you finally get a bit of freedom, mate. You, you go back to abusing your body. and yeah. uh... it's, it's, <laughs> You have a little bit of freedom and you're fully aware that... Uh, the wife and the little one are going to be out for half the day from like very, very early in the morning. So you go, well, you got to make the most of it. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. You got to enjoy these times because who knows what could happen. But, uh, mate, uh, speaking of enjoying times, mate, now, when we started this podcast, the whole idea was to sort of do a bit of fun. And then when we get back to playing footy, start doing recaps of our games and whatnot, which unfortunately 2020 didn't happen. 2021, it will happen. But, mate, this Thursday night, we're back. We oh, are back. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the Cobras. The it's... basketball is back. Basketball team. So, for those that don't know, we do have a select few players that are... Our side hobby is basketball. Our side hustles. Our, you know, we, we go off and play basketball in the summer season to... Um, Keep fit. To try and get some kind of fitness going. Um Mate, it's going to be interesting because last year we went straight from our footy season straight into basketball. So, you know, we were all at a reasonable level of fitness. Um, well, I haven't, I haven't, you know, well, I break a sweat putting my shoes on now, <laughs> but I haven't broken a sweat since our last training session, which was back in bloody uh, June. You, or you sit there and say that this Thursday night, we were my first competitive game of sport in almost oh, maybe 18, oh, 20 months, 19 months. Yeah, but you've put in a lot of hard work in rehab. Oh, mate, there's, there's still a part of very, very nervous about Thursday night. I'm, I'm excited at the same time. Like, oh, fuck, like what? No. A bit nervous with you. Know, an old Achilles, it's not an injury that you just, it's not a broken, sort of dislocated finger that you're like, oh, yeah, it should be all right, mate. So, yeah, yeah, but I, I bring it up because I reckon uh, we're going to need to start doing a quick little recap of our games on our intros the next two or three, you know, next couple of weeks. Yeah, mate. Well, well, let's see how we go Thursday night. If it's if it's worth mentioning, we will. But if if this is the last time basketball is spoken about, <laughs> um, you know we didn't go any good. But uh, as long as long as we don't get to the next couple of episodes, and I'm not here because I'm back in the hospital bed. Touch oh, wood, mate, touch good. bloody wood, Jesus Christ! What are you doing? Uh, but anyway, it, it it is pretty exciting that we're finally back, and it sort of was a out of nowhere. It was like. Are we having a team this year? Well, yeah, we don't know when the season's starting. Oh, they're starting this week, better get the team going. It's like, oh, shit, all right. And away we went. But, mate, before we get into this episode with the uh, Singapore Sharks, the uh, new rules in the AFL for 2021. 
across yeah. this. But it goes back to our chat with the boys from Kick to Kick, doesn't it? Because what they brought up was um, the tradition of the AFL is to fuck with the rules and they're doing it again. Um, so they, they, they foreshadowed this. They foresaw it coming because they knew. Well, on Twitter, there was a, I think it was SEN put up a post and it was like, um, something about why they always, can someone explain why, they, why we keep changing the rules? I'm tagging Kick to Kick boys. I'm like, Fill them in, and they've just put yeah. up a, a post that was like literally every single rule change, and it's like the rule changes are more common than Collingwood losing the grand final. So, yeah, right. It's like I understand if you're going to tinker with things to try and make things better, but I think we're at a stage now where people that are tinkering with these rules and changing rules are just doing it to justify the positions they have, because if they didn't make these changes year in year out. They probably wouldn't have a job. And the thing is, right, my biggest gripe with it is the, well, I'll save my gripe with the uh, the fact that they're using the second tier competition as a bloody, you know, as, as, as a, uh, what do you call guinea it? Guinea pigs? The, yeah, guinea pigs, that's it, yeah. The, uh, the three players from each team to be stationed inside 50 metres at stoppages, including one pair in a goal square. So, I mean, I was, uh, see, I wasn't across that one. Yeah, I... no, I'm starting. So, in the AF, the VFL and East Coast second tier competition, yeah, three players from each team to be stationed inside 50 metres at all stoppages, including one pair in the goal square. So, what they're effectively doing is the players that are literally playing for a spot to get into that senior team are playing under completely different rules and structures to what the AFL team will be doing. Yeah, so that, that, that makes it hard. And, um, Again, you can understand theories behind it, but I just don't think in practice it works. I don't think, I think you're just making more work for umpires that have a hard enough job getting shit right as it is. Like, because not only do rules change year in, year out, but week in, week out, interpretations change of these rules. And I think it's just, you know, so. An umpire's one umpire's who's controlling the stoppage. He's there worrying about that stoppage. The other umpire's got to make sure at one end there's three blokes and there's one bloke in the square, and at the other end there's another umpire's got to make sure that those blokes are in the to fifty in the square. I think it just so, yeah. So what happens, right? So is this where is this where goal umpires come in and like and they have whistles, so there's not you know say rich you know two players aren't in the goal square, one of them players in the goal square no, wasn't in there. And what happens if both players aren't in the goal square? Yeah. Like, what do, what do you do? Like, if, if both teams were to turn around and go, no, no, we'll both just hang out the goal square. They can't punish both teams. Well, it's going to be free kick for you, free kick for you. Okay, we'll have to ball it up then. But, yeah. Uh, ball it up and have another stoppage and the two dickheads still don't get back in the square. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess the, the, only, the only thing I can think of is trying to stop clubs from having everybody in the one area. But all it's going to do is going to mean that you're probably going to put your fittest bike down there so you can push up and push back. But my other issue is the interchange rotation. Okay, I get why they're trying to rotate the interchange because I less than interchange rotation because they want players to not be pushing up and back so heavily and whatnot. But the game, this, this don't age, the game is hard to watch because of the defensive side and how they set up defensively. With lower rotations, it's just going to make the game even more defensive because they're going to be wanting to try and shut them down even more so there's not as much running and whatnot. Yeah, but. it's and 
like like we did speak about with the guys from Kick to Kick is uh, no matter what they do with the rules, coaches find their ways of pushing it to the edge and, you know, um, flooding was never a thing until, you know, until it was and then everyone was doing it. You know, all these different tactics that they use. So coaches are going to find their way around it. And like you said, it'll just it'll probably mean a more congested game when they're trying to get rid of congestion because all they'll say is, if we've got a, a lead of two or three goals, that's we're going to sit on it because we've already used our rotations. We can't bring any fresh blokes on, so it's going to be let's yeah. move, stoppage after stoppage, scrum after scrum. Um, but thankfully, mate, in the VFL and the uh, other competition, mate, they have to push back to the goal square if that happened. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, mate, it's, uh, I could go on for hours about this, but as I said, I've, I'm sort of feeling fantastic, so I, I won't get too into it. But, mate, where are we off to today? Right, well, I'll tell you what, we're going over to Singapore and talk to Scott, Alex, and Mark from the Sharks, the Singapore Sharks. And so this club's a little bit different, mate. They're, well, effectively, they're a, a league on their own. They've basically started a whole junior program, junior league, and then they also have a master's team that over 35s that play against other Asian masters teams. And they go, go over to Bali, play in the Bali masters comp over there. Um, but hey, the stuff they're doing with all the kids they got going, they got about 500 kids playing footy over there. It's freaking amazing. Um, and hopefully one day we, we see a, we're watching an AFL game and we're seeing, you know, young, young et dog, esque type full forward running around who's come all the way from the Singapore Sharks. It'd be, it'd be impressive. But um, so obviously not really knowing about the Singapore Sharks until we'd done the chat with them and really found out what exactly they were about. About two days later, I'm on just I was on Instagram, just you know, checking just the old stories and. Uh, I know you're not exactly across Aussie hip hop, are you? I don't know if you. Bliss and Esso, Hilltop okay. Woods. So close enough to it. But yeah. an Aussie, a legend of Aussie hip hop, uh, his name's Reason. His story Singapore Sharks Auskick. His young fellow was playing that bloody. Oh, nice. uh, their grand final that. I was a bit like, ah. Oh. I would have normally just skipped past that and gone, oh yeah, footy in Singapore. That's weird. But then I'm like, ah, oh, should I actually know about this club now. Yeah. We could have got a celebrity guest on for us. Nah. <laughs> but uh, this is a good chat and someone that we um, played in the same league as we did as the Cobras for quite some time. Yeah, yeah. So he's got ties back to to Danny, unfortunately. Um, but no, it's all good. We've probably played against him in the past. But like I said, mate, they've got a great program going over there. They're doing some great things. So let's get into this chat with Scott, Alex and Mark from the Singapore Sharks. And we'll catch you Wednesday with the Nortelia Dockers. All right. So today we're joined by three guests all the way from uh, Singapore. We have Scott, Alex, and Mark joining us from the Singapore Sharks. Thanks for joining us, guys. Oh, thanks very much for having us, fellas. It's uh, great to be on board. Thanks. Cheers, yeah. Um, uh, We're keen to to learn about the Sharks over in Singapore. It's... um, We've covered a couple other Asian uh, continents and stuff so far, so we're keen to learn about Singapore's footy. Um, but first of all, we'd like to know how you guys got involved with uh, footy over there. Um, so we'll start with Scott first and then and move along to Alex. So, yeah, Scott, how did you get in foot, involved yeah, in footy? Uh, I moved over here in 2015. 
Um, I was a school teacher here, so I took a post in the Australian International School. Um, pretty soon, um, you know, to meet new people, I joined another club on the island called the um, Singapore Wombats. Um, so they, they, they play within Asian footy and I had it, you know, very quickly, instantaneously, you know, make 50 mates and go and have a kick around um, Singapore. And then they go and do tours. So it's just a great place to be and good fun. Um, and then I kind of through school, a mate of mine was coaching at the Singapore Sharks. And I was like, mate, I've got to come to the Sharks, mate. You know, it's um, so much better. Step up and they play Masters. I wasn't 35 at the time. So um, I then came across to the Singapore Sharks and took on the coaching role. Um, but then obviously the, the, the agreement was that as soon as I come across and take the coaching role, I'll stay with the Sharks. So I've been with them. I still play for the Wombats here and there, like in um, Asian carnivals. Um, throughout uh, over the last few years um yeah so i've been there since 2016 really um formerly with the singapore sharks and it's been great yeah nice so what about you alex how did you get involved with the sharks i got involved when uh, my four-year-old son um i decided to take him down to um play in the under fives um they have an under fives team there and um within about um half an hour of the first session i found myself assistant coaching um, and I've, I've got three um, young kids and they've all gone through the junior program at the Sharks. And um, within about three years, I was convinced to join the senior team with, um, with Murph and Hordo. And um, all of a sudden, then I found myself on the committee and next thing I knew, I was president. Yeah, nice. So they, they took their time, three years before they signed you up to play is, is a while, but uh, it's good to say <laughs> they got you on board. Um, what about you, uh, Mark? How did you get involved? Similar story to Al, I guess. Um, yeah, young kids and um, uh, similar with the coaching situation. You, you sit on the sideline for the first session watching some French guy or some German guy try to teach a kid how to hand pass the ball. So you get involved pretty quick to make sure the skills don't go downhill. And um, yeah, from there, it was just a, it was just a, you know, a step up to the to the seniors team and play with the with the I guess we call it the dads and then integrating some of the kids that were in the junior program through to perhaps under 14s or 15s. And then they go into that lost era where we just don't have a, um, a competition or a, a grade for those kids who are 15, 16, 17 and above. Um, so, yeah, it was good to get involved with that and, and take on the role as a coach. And I'll tell you about the coach's appointment later on. It wasn't exactly a democratic process, just so you're clear. <laughs> oh, nice. That's, we've heard a, a lot about uh, coaching and uh creative ways people get uh people to take on presidencies and things like that um just while we're on that rift here just um bit, bit topical would you be kicking and screaming like donald trump is at the moment if someone wanted to take your job i nah, mate, i'd say hey, good luck to him <laughs> <laughs> no, i think um alex would 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 probably say the same thing if someone wanted to take his presidency he'd say oh good luck to you it's all yours you wouldn't well, be sitting there you, saying stop the count stop the top count and vote so i don't want to lose <laughs> well i'll tell you what it'd be uh releasing a bit of pressure but uh the heir apparent's actually uh on this call right now so um hordo just uh you know congratulations i'm the treasurer and I'm the treasurer, and the way I got appointed to that was I basically said, if I'm the treasurer, you two guys have to go to the next Masters tournament. So I kind of roped in two blokes for the footy team. It was kind of a trade-off to get numbers up, I guess. But, uh, yeah, creative ways. Rifty uh, <laughs> recruited me to be his VP. So Rifty was the secretary, and I was just a general committee member dealing with merchandise and whatnot. But 
pretty much anything that was going through the club, we would have a discussion about. He would then go speak to the president. So when he decided he was going to be president, he's come up to me at the pub one day. I think we only just got there, so I had about two beers. He's like, mate, I'm going to put my hand up for presidency next year. I want you to be my VP and we'll, you know, Cal can be secretary. My wife, I'm like, nah, mate, I don't really think I'm ready to be VP. Like, it's a lot of pressure, a lot of responsibility. Three, four hours later, about 12 to 13, you know, schooners later, walks back up to me, mate. So, you know, as I said, I'm going, to, I'm going to be president next year. I really want you to be my VP. Yeah, mate, no worries. I reckon we're making a great team. Sounds fantastic. Let's do it. Woke up the next morning and just went, ah, shit. Didn't really uh, give that much thought. But then, because our vice president last year was my best mate, and I thought myself, what he done for the club last year and the amount of work he put in his VP. I was like, you know what? I can do this easily. He done nothing last year, so it's not that hard. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. Yeah. So he, he wrote me in knowing, I'll get in early, like, see, what I, see where he's at with two beers, and then... When it was a no, it was like, I felt like he was just sitting there watching me going three beers, four beers. Is it 10? We're a chance now. Either that or he noticed my speech started to slur and went, okay, now's the time. <laughs> and I learned it from you. You, you conned your mate into taking on VP the year before by getting him drunk. So it's it's a tried and true uh, tested method to to recruit people to your, uh, to the club and to the uh, committee. Amazing um, how much of a better player or president or treasure you are, the more beers you have, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the goals he's kicked after he's... But let's talk a bit about your playing careers, not just including uh, with the Sharks, but sort of overall. And Again, we'll start with Scott, who's a former red leg and an opponent of ours. I'm sorry, I don't recall lining up on you at all, but... Um, probably lucky for me but uh yeah so how long have you played footy for where have you played and sort of what yeah. position well um, played all over um victoria started obviously in country victoria in the egfl playing for lindenow and dansdale uh, before what when i moved to melbourne for university you know when i was 18 19 played in a few different leagues around melbourne um with wrfl played a few ammos or a couple of years in the ammos um different clubs there um as well and then i ended up going to London, playing over there. And then when I came back, a mate um, wrote me in to come down to Dandenong. He'd just taken on the coaching role there. I was like, oh, yeah, well, yeah, might as well get back into it. So then I ended up at the Redlegs, um, uh, the old Dandy West. And so I played there for about maybe four or five years. Uh, so 2008, 12, 20, yeah, probably about to about 2013, I think. Um, yeah, and then before moving and relocating here in 2015, then um, obviously continuing with the, the Sharks and Wombats. Um, yeah, that, that's about it, I guess. Who did you play for across in London? Um, so um, where were we located? We played in Clapham. So what was it called? Um, Wandsworth. Wandsworth. That's the Wandsworth Seaman. Yep. That's right. Yep. Former yeah. guests of the show. So. Ah, very good indeed. Yeah, then we played a, a, like a lightning carnival over there that we did during the summer in the parks too, which was good fun. Yeah, nice. So what about you, Alex? Uh, have you played much footy before the Sharks? Um, my football career prior to the Sharks peaked in 1991 um, when I was selected in the 6th 18 at, uh, at my school. So um, since, since then, I, after 1991, the football whatsoever, um, until um, I got roped into the senior team with the with the other dads three years ago, so I'm I'm, I'm what you'd call an enthusiastic contributor. Put it that way. <laughs> Benjamin Button. <laughs> no, that's all right. It's a 
pretty common story. I've come across, uh, I've started playing supers last year over 35s and um, the amount of guys that I've become teammates with that uh, hadn't played footy for 15, 20 years since they were a young kid. And then they've come across it as an adult. And, you know, most people don't even know there's a competition going for over forties, over fifties and whatnot. Um, and they go, oh, I wish I had been playing the whole, my whole, whole life, you know, and, um, but it's good that you're able to, to get involved and have the kids and, and have a sport you can all play along together. Definitely. Um, and what about you, Mark? How, how long you played for? What positions? Where have you played? Yeah, similar to Murph, I guess. I played, uh, I'm from Perth, so played a lot over there with um, the junior club that I was part of, which was Williton, and then went to East Fremantle and then back into the amateurs with CBC. And similar to Murph, ended up in London, um, <laughs> playing for the North London Lions, which uh, up in Hackney kind of way. And, yeah, fell into the coach's role somehow again over there, but um, because of the nature of my work, um, I think most people played, we played about 10 or 12 games over that summer summer period. I think I made it to maybe three as a coach, but I went, I got into the grand final from coaching three games. So I thought that was pretty good. Um, and then, yeah, just kind of a bit of, bit of a hiatus for a bit when I was in Singapore at the start um, until just finally convinced to come down and play. And yeah, it is good just to kind of run around you. You're not quite as fast as you used to be and you can't kick quite as well as you used to and all the rest of it, but it's still fun just to, to bash around a bit and have a bit of fun. And, you know, I think what what is interesting is I think the the calibre of people that you meet, um, not just in your own teams, but I think as you get older and mature and you play in these different tournaments around the region here and the Masters, you end up meeting some really good people uh, and you could make some great friends as well, even from other clubs. It's just a good network. Yeah. A lot of um, ex-AFL, VFL players floating around Asia still too. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, one of the guys from our team I had lunch with yesterday, he used to play for St Kilda and yeah. you know, he just said, yeah, just can't wait to play next year and he's a super busy job and everything else, but he just wants to play footy. Um, so, you know, there's so much, so much talent, I guess, which is just um, sitting around, <laughs> for yeah. a better word, doing nothing in this region. It's good to get it activated again and back into some kind of uh, place where they can show how good they were and have a bit of fun. Yeah, it's one thing we learned fairly early days because the first... Uh, when we first started doing this, we had quite a few Asian clubs on. Well, actually, I was gobsmacked with the amount of ex AFL and BFL players that were actually mm-hmm. running around in the Asian countries because they've moved across there for work and, you know, they still want to kick at the footy. So they head across to their local, you know, the local Asian country team that they're in. So one of the things I like to know is I'm a person that has a number that they wear and won't change his number. Do you guys have a certain number that you wear when you play or is it just sort of whatever comes out the kit bag? Go, well? oh, we have proper jumpers. Yeah, Al, it's yours. Oh, well, um, yeah, we've got, um, we've got jumpers with numbers on the back. We've got names. Um, so we, we don't like to do things by halves at the Singapore Sharks. So my number to begin with was number seven. Um, and that was because my favourite player growing up was Wayne Johnston, the dominator from Carlton. So it was number seven. Um, then the jumper started to get a bit old and tatty and I decided to switch over to 43, Kudafidis. So there you have it. Is that, and he's just endeared himself to both both, of, both us. of us here because I'm a Carlton man and Ed Dog's a number 42. So him and his mates are part of the 40s club. They like to call it. So you're a member of the 40s yeah. club and his best mate wore 43. So. My best mate wore 43. Two, my other, yeah, three good mates. Two of them were in my bridal party and the other one wasn't in there. I couldn't see him for a few years, but we wore 40, 41, 42 and 43. So we dubbed ourselves the... Uh, the 40s club 
<laughs> the the sad thing about it though is I think we only ever played one game together, all wearing them numbers. <laughs> I think <laughs> I think because my mate was up in Darwin, so he didn't play. So when he came back, we finally had 40, 41, 42, 43. We played round one together, and I don't think yeah we played round one together, and then round two I he I had done my Achilles, so that was it. We played one then. About eight, nine weeks later, he fractured his skull. So his footy career is done. So, yeah, we had all this thing at the 40s club. We're going to be have run around wearing 40s together. Lasted one game. <laughs> <laughs> they used to call it the number plates, didn't they? Walking, yes. walking around with the number plate on the back. <laughs> you forget how you forget how um, personal and um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not sentimental, but passionate people are about numbers. Um, you know, I guess when I was a kid growing up, people were pretty picky about the numbers they wore and everyone had their number. And you kind of just knew that guy would take that number and you had no chance of ever getting it. Um, and I, it occurred to me, um, was it last year or the year before, we, we were very fortunate to take some kids down to Melbourne and play at the MCG at halftime of a couple of games. And in the change rooms, the kids, the jumpers come out and they're on the ground and it was just a, it's just a mess of a fight for these kids pinching numbers and there was tears and there was jumpers being snatched <laughs> off. And the the kind of wardens were all kind of, you got to get in the field, you got to get in the field. But there was a lot of passion in picking those numbers for those kids. Are. So it's, yeah. it's, I think that's a pretty powerful thing. Numbers, number on your back is quite important. It has to mean something to you. So, Have you got a favourite number hoarder? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a 15, but that's just my birthday. Kind of, I don't know how that came about. I think it just got that given to me when I was a kid playing basketball. It never, never went. I really like number seven, but one of my best mates had number seven and I could never get it off him. That's the problem, <laughs> right? And he was kind of better than me. So you can't justify taking that guy's number. Um, yeah. If he was crap, if he was a crap player, I would have been all over it. But yeah, certainly not. <laughs> That's it. Well, I'm number four, very simply. Yeah, I like it. it. So you mentioned uh, the jumpers you guys have got. Now, myself and Rifty are massive fans of nice jumpers. We we love a different jumper. Now, your jumper, like the green uh, color scheme itself, I quite like. But you've got a little bit of um, indigenous uh, flavor about the jumper. How did that come about to incorporate that into the Sharks jumper? Uh, well, one of our committee members actually um, had a contact, um, I think from the Geelong Football Club. Um, and it was through Ballarat, um, through one of the schools in Ballarat. One of the schools in Ballarat. All right. Well, Murph, perhaps you, I think you know the detail of this better. So do you want to maybe take yeah, over? One of our ex-committee members, um, ex-coach as well, again, uh, appointed in the same fashion that Mark was and also fired as in, in the same way that the order will be done as well, <laughs> some of course. Um, yeah, Simon Hegney, um, great man, uh, great shark. He is a long-term uh, football coach from when he grew up at St. Pat's, sorry, in Ballarat. Um, he, they had some Indigenous designs for their school footy that they're playing, I think, in the TAC or, or the Catholic Boys um, League. And he said, you know, hey, as a parting gift, he thought, you know, before we went back to Ballarat, um, he thought, how good would it be to have the Sharks to have an Indigenous flair and design on it? And so he got in contact with his old coach who put us in contact with the artist herself, the original artist, and um, he went to seek permission to use it. And... Um, she was more than happy for us to use it and it was adapted that way. And there's a story that goes with the jumper. Um, and it's about, I believe, from memory, Alex, um, it does say on the inside of the jumpers, it's got a story on the back of where the tag would go for all the kids um, about community, family and being together. So, and I think you can kind of see on the jersey as well that there's, you know, kind of almost sitting around the central location. But that's that's the, um, I guess, the origins of where it came from. Well, the... Okay. I was just going to say the jumpers proved so popular 
um, that um, our our sort of uh, rivals in in the Asian football scene um, from from a junior perspective, um, who are the Hong Kong Dragons, they've actually um, got hold of the same artist. Um, her, her name is Amanda Gori, um, and they've actually she's actually produced a jumper design for them as well. Um, different colour scheme, but um, it just shows the popularity of that of that design. So everywhere. Uh, you know, the players went across Asia on our various trips. Um, we, we got, you know, amazing feedback about that design. So, we, yeah, we're pretty proud of it. Yeah, it's an absolute fantastic jumper. As I said, myself and Rifty, we, when we come across clubs, you know, we like to look at the logos and the jumpers and we see nice-looking jumpers are a bit different and we get a real kick out of them. And I'm going to guess you've obviously had a, had a chance to look at it now, Rifty. I haven't got it up yet. Oh, come on, mate. Jesus. Pick your game up. You've got a massive TV in front of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is a good looking jumper. It's, uh, might have to, that, that that might be high up on the the draft for the next uh, best jumper in the world. That's what I was getting at there, mate. That's, That's what I wanted to look at. Cast, so, uh, I was going to bring that up. I reckon that would have to be a very, very uh, a hot favourite when we roll around well, the next best jumper in the world. Who's who's leading the the, the charge on the best jumper in the world? We done one a few months ago. So I think we had we have about fifty clubs we'd spoken to. Yep. So yep. we done the, the clubs that we'd spoken to. So we done a we picked sixteen jumpers each out of them. So we sort of went off the. Uh, you needed to be unique, not just a standard, you know, St Kilda strip or a Collingwood strip. So the clubs that we'd spoken to, South Dublin ended up being the best jumper that was voted by the public. So we set it up that. Um, so they've got bracket system, so Facebook and Instagram and the stories, so you'd let everyone vote. And yeah, South Dublin took home the uh, that one, but we were getting an influx of messages on the Facebook and Instagram page going, what about this jumper, what about this jumper, what about this jumper? And the amount of times I'm like, okay, I've explained this to 20 other people. It's the best jumpers of the clubs that have been on the Cobra cast at the moment. Oh, there we, go. we will get around to doing one with everybody in the world. But at the moment, it's just clubs on the Cobra cast. So, but yeah, I reckon on, that, mate. that jumper, Ooh, I reckon, is an absolute... It, it's a, it's going to be a hot favourite, mate. It's going to be a top five seed, I would have thought. Beautiful. I reckon the only, the only downfall is I think the, the logo is disproportionate. I mean, this is probably it's probably <laughs> over the top. But we might have to um, calibrate those things for the next printing. Yeah, if you could some way integrate the logo a little bit into the actual the scheme so the logo doesn't sort of pop out of it as much as it does, you'd be right. You'd be laughing. Uh, good advice, actually. But, yeah, looks all right. looks good. Um, and we are fans of good jumpers, that's for sure. Um, but they'll, they'll be up there for the next one. You just got to make sure you get – you promote and get people to vote because we've had clubs – complain that oh this one should have beat that one it's like well they had more people vote so what can we do like uh, you know we thought it was a better jumper too but they didn't just didn't they weren't popular enough they didn't get the vote so and we're not we're not accepting recounts <laughs> what about bribes you want to do bribes Let me do yeah. absolutely, oh, absolutely. Bribes. Yeah. I can see the direction it was going yeah. Yeah. Ed, Ed Dog flat out said anyone that wants to send him a jumper will definitely uh, yeah, you know win. be top of the list so yeah, I, I will, I will you know, rig the votes I do the voting so right. well, next, time, next time I'm back in Melbourne I'll, I'll bring down a jumper and drop it off to the, oh. the gobbers and oh, nice. And ensure that we, we take our mantle. 
Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's a bit shooing, mate. You'll be number one seed. You'll be 100% vote your way the whole time. I've seen many times, I've sold my, I've sold my soul for a body, anything that's free. Yeah. <laughs> you want to give me a free beer? I'll, I'll work it out for you. But anyway, Rifty, mate, let's find out a bit, a bit about the, uh, the Sharks. Yeah, so how, when was the club first founded and, and why did they even choose the Sharks in the first place? So the club was founded back in 2007. And um, the reason why it was the Sharks were chosen as the, the moniker um, was that the, the club originally was formed um, by a bunch of parents from the Australian International School. And it just so happens that um, the logo of the Australian International School is also a shark. So it sort of became quite an obvious thing for the, the football club initially um, to choose the shark logo. The colours of the school were, were green and gold, um, the Australian colours. So that's where the, the colour scheme came from. Um, however, as the club's kind of um, developed over the years, um, we're still associated with the school. That's our home ground. Um, however, we're now open to, um, to children, um, parents, um, adults from all over Singapore. You don't have to be um, a, uh, a member of the, the school community. So we're, we're, we're a truly um, open and inclusive club. Yeah, nice. So as you said, it was founded for... Um, you know, it's more of a, a club that's based on the main focus being the junior development and the Auskick program and all that type of stuff. So it's a little bit different to most clubs that around Asia, most clubs are literally just sort of a senior club and then your Hong Kongs, I think your Bali Geckos, I think of the Bing Tangs and Jakarta have got a junior program there. But your main focus is that junior development. What age groups do you guys currently have and you know, what's the um, like Australians compared to local kids that are playing running around for the Sharks? Um, so in terms of age groups, we go all the way through from under fives right up to under 15s in terms of our junior age groups. We then have the all-inclusive senior team, which is basically anyone over the age of 15, right up to, I think, Hordo mentioned 55 running around um, for that. Um, in terms of... Um, in terms of the breakup of um, nationalities, it's heavily Australian dominated. And that's pretty obvious because unlike other parts of Asia, we have a very, very large Australian expat population here in Singapore. Okay. So um, in terms of our, our local kids, we do have some Singaporeans probably, you know, in the range of maybe 10%. Um, but we've got a lot of other nationalities as well. There's a big international expat population here. We have, I think last time we counted, we had something like 20 different nationalities in our team, in our club um, playing list. Sorry. Yeah, it's quite incredible. It's um, many places uh, around the world are trying to get these junior programs going and things like that. But to, to have basically started the club for that reason is pretty awesome. And uh, gives, you know, all the Aussie kids growing up over there, uh, touch of home and they're still getting to kick an Aussie ball around. And I, I guess, you know, sort of all the, the parents get together and, uh, um, you know, have all like-minded parents around cheering the kids on and then abusing yes. the umpire when they don't give a free kick your kid's way and things like that. <laughs> yeah, Ricky, one part, one part we, and if you can correct me on the numbers here, but last year we started an inaugural um, girls footy season as well. And I think we had, I think it was 100 or maybe more than 100. 127. Uh, 127, there he is. 144. Um, 144. 144. <laughs> raise it, raise it more. 
Um, so that was a that was a huge success, and I think that's something which we'll continue to do. I think in normal times it would be far easier. We obviously have constraints on how many people can train at any one point in time and, and the groups, etc. But it still continues, and there's a strong uh, girls contingent in that group. And it goes. It had we did open the the senior team up to uh, ladies as well. So last year we started off the year and we had um, wives and mothers and daughters and all sorts playing and training with us and it slowly dropped off over the year but you know I think it, it will come back and we've got a couple of young girls I think they're probably 16 or 15 um, that train with us at the moment and play with us when we do our games so you know we modify the rules so we don't you know obviously tackle them hard and whatever else but you know it's a really positive sign that there's such good interest from the girls in, in this in this country. Yeah not a, do we not only and quote me if I'm wrong or correct me if I'm wrong do we, were we the biggest junior football club in the world last year do we tick over 400 kids part of our junior program was that acknowledged by the afl uh, i think our afl asia rep um last year mentioned to our previous president that he didn't have the exact figures but he thinks we were round about the single biggest um junior junior oz kick um program in the world yeah, yeah so we should yeah, be here with gill anytime we started Auskick last year and we had about 12 kids. So uh, <laughs> you guys are doing a lot better than us. Um, and I know, you know, even in Australia, in, in many places, the Auskick numbers are sort of dropping right off. So for you guys to be in a, a foreign country for, for what uh, this Aussie game is, um, to be getting those kind of numbers is pretty remarkable. And uh, hats off to everyone that's involved and keeps it running. Um and well, on that, your Alex is the president of the club. So, sort of, what has your job entailed, and and how did you end up as the president? Um, well, I'll st- I'll start with the last part of that question first. So, basically, I ended up as the president because at one of the club gala dinners, I happened to be sitting next to one of the ex presidents, and. Um, he seemed to think I was a fairly likable chap. So, you know, as, as you guys had mentioned previously, over about 10 beers, um, it was all done and dusted. And uh, all of a sudden I was going to be, you know, um, next in line, that kind of thing. Um, now, luckily, he actually pulled in an experienced ex-president from Hong Kong who, who did the job for a couple of years while I did my apprenticeship on the committee. Um, but I took over this year. And um, I tell you what, in terms of um, being a president of a, of a club with over 400 players, um, it sometimes alternates between feeling like you're running a clothing business when, um, when you're actually having to deal out that much um, kit, the jumpers, the shorts, the socks. I mean, the amount of um, stuff we have to order, coaches, shirts, caps, it's, it's, we're talking, you know, thousands of, of, it's in the thousands, some of the, the items of stock we have to pull in. Um, so it, it's actually a lot of logistics. It's a lot of, um, it's a lot of, you know, the finances, making sure people get paid, making sure we take the money in, in a way that's, um, efficient. We're all automated at our back end. Um, and in terms of the footy, to be honest, I mean, I leave all of that to, to Murph and in terms of the senior team, I leave all of that to Hordo because, um, you know, as I said, just the amount of admin with dealing with a club that large, um, the, it doesn't really leave much room to think about the actual footy. So we, um, you know, we definitely need to delegate that to the experts. Yeah, very nice. And so you mentioned uh, 
Murph there handles a fair bit with, with the comes to the coaching side of things. So you are the uh, head coach. So what does your role entail? Yeah. Um, so myself and my assistant coach, Brad Winters, he, he uh, oversees the, he oversaw the girls program, the inaugural girls program last year, but also our juniors. So under fives, um, under sevens as well. And, and also from what Al was saying before, we've got kids as young as two in there this year, which is quite incredible as well. Now I think about it, these almost these little toddlers running around. But the the coaching role itself is all about, um, I guess we develop a fundamental motor program for the kids and it's about skills. Um, we finish our season usually with a lightning round or a lightning carnival, so like a six-week round robin. So for the usual 13-week season, we will build a program that is tailored for the kids but um, grows them you know week to week and their skills and those fundamental basics that we want with our football but you know we're also about developing them as characters as well and you know being gracious in their, in their the way they go about things um, yeah so liaising with coaches designing the program with Brad and myself um, being out there with the kids being involved getting parents involved um, it's an incredible community you know right from the committee down um, to the, the amount of helpers and, and this this year particularly with COVID and the restrictions we've had to tailor our program again and what that looks like that, that was a huge logistical um, challenge in itself um, so you know we can only at, at the moment here in Singapore you can only have five kids in a group with one coach um, so that turned our whole program on its head we even, even had to leave our um, usual home of AIS or Shark Park as we call it um, and head up the road to a place where we could have kids from all different schools um, be together in these mixed groups of five. So we've relied heavily on coaches this year, being the parents, the mums and the dads, to ensure that they can be allocated to a group of five kids. Um, so, yeah, so the coaching role was big. Um, but, you know, we've seen some incredible kids come through our program and, you know, starting in the juniors, um, in, the, in the under fives and under sixes, right, going right through to under 15s and up to the seniors now. And a lot of those kids assimilating back home. And that's always been our goal as coaches, uh, with Brad and I, is that we we want to build a program that holds up, would be any time in suburb of Melbourne, and then when those kids go back home and they transition, that, that, that they go in seamlessly. And um, feedback we've always had on our program is that that's happening, um, which is great. And we've just had a, one of our young sharks, she was in the draft, the female draft, uh, the AFLW several weeks ago. Unfortunately, she didn't um, get picked up. That's um, someone else's loss in Ash Snow, but... Um, Hopefully, you know, she'll, she'll find a club that's aligned with the VFLW and go from there. So, yeah. Yeah, that, that's fantastic. And, like, you know, you're doing it so that way when the kids, you know, do move back to Australia, they're going to go you know, straight into Australian kick with no issues at all. Yeah. In your time, in the last 13 years at the Sharks, that uh, yeah, 13 years the Sharks have been around for, have there any been have there ever been a kid that you just – think has got the talent to go all the way? Yeah, I do. Um, we've got quite a few players um, who've gone through. So Ash Snow was obviously one. We we weren't around. Uh, Nicola Barr was the inaugural number one draft pick for the AFLW for GWS in, in their first year. She was a, an alumni of the Australian International School. So we, we would like to claim her as a shark. Because if, we, if we were about, she would have she would have definitely been a shark. She was an incredible athlete, actually. Um, but yeah, we've got a lot of kids who are coming through. Um, very, it is very um, transient place, Singapore. So not every kid goes back to Victoria or WA, South Australia or home um, to have that opportunity. But there's definitely kids that have, um, you know, 
raised eyebrows as such in their talent. Um, we've had one just recently, that one of our families returned to Perth um, while COVID was happening. And their two boys um, played in their local league, um, Hordo will correct me, down, down the bottom there um, of WA, or, um, a nice little area around, what, what's the place down there, Hordo? Margaret River? Down the bottom. Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty big area, man. It's like 500 k's away. So there's probably a few towns in between. But let's just go with Margaret River. Let's call yeah, that Dunsborough, maybe. Dunsborough? Dunsborough. That's what I thought it was, Dunsborough. Um, so yeah. the team was there. And they they played up a level as well, I believe. And they absolutely tore it apart. So, um, And the, the dad wrote us an email um, into the Sharks admin team just saying, you know, the program you've got is solid. Um, the kids dominated. It was really, really good. So hats off. So it was really lovely to hear that. Yeah, that's fantastic. The fact that... You know what you're doing across there is working, and the kids are—it's it's useful, and the kids aren't going back and you know floundering at a lower level. So, you said you have a—you run a six-week uh, lighting premiership competition. So, what age groups play in that? You know, what's the structure of that competition? What are the teams and all that type of stuff? Yeah, um, again, another massive task, you know, from with our like um, moving kit and creating kits. So, for that six weeks, we create jumpers every year as well. Um, and they, they, they vary and we usually base them around um, teams that we like. I'm a Demons supporter. I don't think we've seen a Demons team and <laughs> that's not too surprising, I guess. Um, so the six weeks, um, the kids are based from the under-9s, 11s, 13s and 15s. So we've got four age divisions um, over that six weeks and we play until we um, they'll usually play depending how many teams we have, depending on the amount of kids. Um, then we create a... Um, a, a roster or not a roster like a uh, you know the round robin for the kids um until we have a finals day as well where all the kids play off to be the premiers for the lightning rounds for that year um and that's been running that was a, a legacy of a, a ex-treasurer as well with murray naismith and he he started it up at that as a passion project um and every year it's just grown more and more legs and you know it's something that the kids and the adults um really really look forward to um, you know, it's a real honour to, to coach it. It's a real honour to be involved in the preparations, but even the umpire, and we've got central umpires that still put their hand up every year as well. So um, it's a really exciting time of the year. It's, it looks a little bit different this year. Um, and again, it all comes down to those, you know, the numbers that we have. And, but usually, you know, the, the format of, you know, two 10-minute halves, two eight-minute halves, and the kids, there's, there's ladders, we do write-ups, the coaches are involved. Um, it's very exciting. Yeah, that's yeah. fantastic. So you're pretty much running your own own league within your within your club, basically, which is. Oh, yeah. Um, and when you said you've got to organise four hundred players and do all that stuff, and especially through this past year, uh, we have about forty players on our list, and we had a hard enough time just trying to organise training with with all the restrictions we had, and I couldn't imagine trying to organise four hundred kids, mate. Um, but. If anyone, any of these kids or any families are coming back and they're moving back to southeast Victoria, just send them down to the Cobras. We'll have, we'll have them all down for sure. Um, we'll make them feel welcome. So don't just tell them, forget about red legs, forget about <laughs> any other team, just straight to the Cobras. Send them our way. Of course. They'll probably uh, show a few of our players a thing or two, mate. Oh, oh don't doubt it at all. I reckon, you... I reckon Paul Hay needs a, a kicking coach. Yeah, he needs more than that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but what about uh, with the junior 
clubs? Do they get to go and play against any other Asian clubs, uh, you know, like the men's teams do? Do the juniors get that as well? Yeah, um, every year we, um, obviously with the exception of this year, we, we have a, an ongoing relationship with Hong Kong, the Hong Kong Dragons. Um, so usually we do a reciprocal trip um, every year and every two years. We, there was potential for, um, obviously, uh, the potential of going to Thailand as well that we spoke about. Um, a lot of the kids, um, very keen and families as well, wanted to be involved in, in that trip. But the one solid that has happened is the, with the Hong Kong Dragons every year. So, and, and again, that we also run a, like a lightning premiership or a lightning carnival for the day that they come or the day that we go over to Hong Kong. So um, the, the other, I guess, exciting part is that the kids, you know, have been invited by the AFL a couple of times to go and watch a game, you know, down at the G each year. And, you know, we, we're given that to kids that have the Oz kick. Um, time in the middle of at half time and that's that's been one of our family trips as well that's been really important and our, our club the single sharks has hooked up with like glenn iris the last few years um, one of our ex-committee members and coaches was um, affiliated there so we, we've gone and played them uh, in glenn iris was there another one Al, that, that i'm missing ash burton ash burton yeah so um, they're, they're, they're the trips that we do um, not as they don't tour as frequently as some of the other asian clubs but um, as seniors in the seniors team, we, we travel uh, once a year to Bali um, where we, we have the Masters competition of the 30, over 35s um, Asian Championships. For the kids, Murph, I think it's fair to say as well, when they play these other clubs, it's a pretty unique opportunity for them because the games that they play, the lightning rounds or even just during their training, they're playing with their mates who they know week mm. in and week out. Um, and some of the games that I've seen, certainly in Hong Kong, um, especially in Hong Kong, but also the ones in Australia. I mean, in Hong Kong, are pretty spirited um, games. You know, people are pretty competitive and it's great to see the kids actually thrive in that environment because they don't necessarily play against unknown teams. They normally play against kids they know and they can understand. So, clubs, yeah. Yeah, the injury club experience, I think, for them has been amazing. It's, you know, it's obviously a very expat life of, oh, we just flopped to Hong Kong for a weekend of football. Um, it all sounds very privileged, but I think for those kids, it is a really unique opportunity, and it, it does give them a bit of a bit of experience which they would not otherwise have. Right. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Yeah, that's uh, will be a great opportunity, and uh, we've also spoken to the Hong Kong Dragons. We're getting a lot of six degrees of separation here. Plenty of clubs that we've uh, spoken to have come up, and um, we're You're just lucky. We're just no, we're just lucky that um, the borders haven't opened because when when our boys heard that they get to train in the middle of Happy Valley, uh, we were we were worried we were going to lose a fair fair few blokes over there. So we're just glad borders borders are still shut, so we haven't lost anyone. Uh, but you mentioned uh, you know about the opportunities these kids have had, and I see here that in 2017 the kids got to play at halftime during the Shanghai match. Um, how much of a kick did the kids get out of that? Did they sort of realise what you know what that opportunity was like for them? Do you want to go, Al? Um, well, um, yeah, they did. They did enjoy that a lot. Um, um, that was that was um, you know the kids sort of growing up here in Asia. They they they're very keenly aware of um, you know the impact China has and um, and and the importance of that game to the AFL. Um, so that was that was very exciting for them. Um, I must I must say though that the 
when we give them the chance to go to the MCG, um, that's the thing that, um, you know, the demand for that trip just goes through the roof. And um, um, that is that is still the big one in their mind when they when they get to play on the MCG. What's um, some of the biggest match? Ooh, sorry. What's some of the biggest matches that the uh, Singapore Sharks have played in the middle of at halftime? Well, the one last year, I think, was probably big one, wasn't it? Was it? It was our Eagles and someone. West Coast and Hawthorne. West Coast and Hawthorne. Yeah, it was a good game was, last year. Was Port Adelaide and Carlton the year before? Was it? Yeah. Yeah. You can't, can't Quite a couple of teams They might have. They probably would have been a bit better than some of the players that were on the field. Yeah, that's right. What do you reckon, Rift? Do you reckon that's a fair enough? Uh, that's fair enough. And yeah, all right. Pass. We'll take anyone. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned about the um the Bali Masters that you go to every season, Rift. I'll let you take this question because of the fact that you have heard great reviews about it from a close mate of ours. Yeah, well, uh, we did get to speak to Ricky Olerenshaw early on and he's told us all about the Bali Masters, but I was well across it because uh, an old coach of ours had headed over last year for it and raved about how good it was and it was absolutely devastated when he's he had to cancel his flights over for this year. Um, but, how, how you know, what's the trip like for you guys? How much uh, do the guys look forward to that trip over to Bali? Um, oh, look, I mean, there's 365 days in the year. We spend, we try to spend four or five, maybe some like six days in Bali over that weekend. And the other 359 days of the year, I think we're talking about it. So it's, it is a pretty powerful, um, pretty powerful event um, for most of the blokes that go over there. And there's a hell of a lot of planning that goes into those four or five days um, on and off the field. But it is a great experience. And the, the, the geckos, they really do, Ricky and um, Inchi, they put on a fantastic fantastic event in a very difficult location really from a logistics and organization standpoint so they've got a great facility they're very fortunate to be able to use Finns Beach Club um, it's a great oh, Finns Recreation Club sorry it's a it's a perfect location it's got family atmosphere um, it's very spirited you know blokes are playing in the right spirit of the game there's obviously a bit of a bit of aggression it's full rules it's not super rules so there's contact um, and you know some of the players that turn up there last year, there was Des Headland played and Tony Liberatore has played the last few years. Um, you know, the calibre of the players are just phenomenal. Um, Stewie Jews obviously playing out there and Ricky, obviously. So these players are really good. And for some of us, you know, I'm not quite at all as the over 47s and over 55 age groups, but you know, some of these guys were your, your heroes growing up watching them play and you kind of see them running around on a football field in Bali. It is impressive to see. Um, see those skills. They're still very, very fresh and fluid. Well, even but even Bali. Yes, sorry. sorry. Yeah, just with Bali yeah. themselves, you know, they're, they're, they're the heavy team in, in terms of the um, the caliber that they pack. Um, with Troy Luff, Ricky Olerenshaw, Stevie Baker, um, who else was running around there? It was quite a few. Yeah, Wayne Carey came on for five minutes and played against us one year. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 So when he pinged yeah. his hammy, a couple and, of minutes in. But I mean, but yeah. But, you know, some of the teams that do play from, they're all over Australia, some from all over Asia, Borneo and, you know, lots of West Australian teams, obviously. There was one team, um, I think, 
last year the year before they they um forgot to put the registration form in but they obviously told their wives they were still going so um still playing so they still turned up but um, you know, it is. It brings together quite a good atmosphere of football. It's very collegiate. You know, people are talking and barracking and supporting each other, and it does end up in some really good football. Um, you know, I think the geckos themselves as well. They blood a lot of young um, Balinese footballers. They bring them into their program and they include them. So, hats off to them for doing that, and they're a key part of that program as well for and part of the Bali Masters. Yeah, so as you said, like, you know, the club, you know, the team forgot to put their registration in, but they still told their wives they're heading off. That was leading to my next question. Is that a weekend where the boys, you know, they leave the families at home or do the uh, families tag along with them, but they, the fellas get a little bit of extra leeway on a few nights? Um, oh, look, it's, um, it's, um, there's a lot of pre-game, there's a lot of preparation, pre-game preparation. There's a lot of post-game uh, analysis. Um, that's probably the best way to put it. So it's probably not a great place for, Family to be. I think some teams definitely do take their families and they make a weekend of it. If you're coming up from Australia, then it's a great opportunity to make a holiday of it. Um, for us, it's a two-hour flight from from Singapore. So most of the guys will focus on their football, I think is probably the best way to say it. And they, they really do focus on their preparation. <laughs> yeah, you, um, you some of the preparation is good. You don't worry really boring <laughs> some, the, uh, the wives and the kids with all the, you know, the analysis and the no. behind, you know, behind the goal no. vision or that type of yeah. stuff. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, there's, um, uh, you know, we, we obviously support the local community as best we can by getting out and about and putting money back in as a tourist should in those countries. And yeah, the analysis is good and, you know, the debriefs are very thorough um, and they're very extensive. So there's probably not a lot of sleep, but um, it's a good weekend. And some of the best times I think of those trips is just hanging around the villa in a pool with 20 blokes, um, you know, talking about how good we were. Um, so it's, it is good fun. And, it does bring a lot to the camaraderie of the team. And especially, you know, I think if you think about grand finals that you play in, you, you cross the street to see the guy you want a premiership with. I think for guys going to Bali and playing in that atmosphere and spending four or five days in a villa just analysing football, um, you know, it's a good opportunity. It does create some very strong friendships um, for a long time to come. Yeah, it sounds like uh, my type of weekend. A lot of footy talk sitting by a pool. Um, well, we, there's always room. We build, we need more water boys. We need um, strappers and um, analy- you know, consultants, defensive coaches. So there's plenty of roles on the on the very line. Got a coaching committee. We did have to appoint a wellbeing manager, didn't we? Um, we did yeah. several years ago to ensure that the, the you know the safety and wellbeing of our players was um, prime and being looked after. So our wellbeing director now um, has done yeah. an incredible job in, in ensuring that the players are, are well looked after. Yeah. yeah, and I think he's got an assist. I think he's got a deputy now, so you know we do take that very seriously because I think there's a lot of preparation that goes into massages and breakfast role. and dietary. So, well, that's it. you can't be going across there without the right fluids into you. Got to make sure you get the right amount of fluids, yeah. and you know, the fluids yep. aren't containing anything they shouldn't, and that type of thing. So, yep. I'd be more than happy to be a water boy as long as uh, the water is beer. <laughs> Before he's in the game, I'm more than happy to. You might not get it because I might drink it yourself before it gets to you. But, um, so anyway, as we've mentioned, like the Sharks are more of a junior club and they don't go out and play. Um, so the Wombats are the Singaporean club that go to the Asian Championships and whatnot. How many of your bikes jump on board the Wombats for the Asian Champs and play with them? I know, Scott, you said you've played from a few times. Yep. Yeah, there's quite a few of us um, who, who do that. Obviously, with the sharks, you know, with the one the one competition that we do build for is barley. Um, but you know, the, we do play um, club matches against the wombats as well. We usually 
um, to, to build each other up for each tournament. The, the Asian Championships has historically been, you know, late September or October. So we'll, we'll build up over a few weeks with the Wombats to ensure their players are ready to go. And us leading into Bali, they'll do the same uh, for us to ensure that we're ready. Um, but then I guess there's probably half a dozen of who, who played in um, the Asian Champs with the Wombats. A few years ago, there was a, quite a few of us. Um, there's a farewell tour for, for a mate who left the island. Um, we all went up to KL and went to the Asian Championships and played with the bats there. And that was an, another great weekend of um, preparation was key there too. But um, good fun. How, how far is, you know, are the Wombats from the Sharks, like travel-wise? How long does it take you to get down to play with them? 10 minutes. Uh, Beautiful. It's not far. Nothing, been, far. Nothing's far in Singapore. Yeah. I've, I've been to Singapore yeah. twice. Didn't leave the airport either time, but I've been there twice. So I feel like I can count that as being, being in Singapore. It's a bloody big airport. It's a pretty big airport, yeah. Look, I, um, think that they, I think the camaraderie between the two teams is good, actually. I think the coordination, you know, I speak to the other coach from time to time. And, yeah, it's just a good network because we want to, encourage participation right we don't care how we get it we just want to encourage it and they've actually got a, a girls program as well i think bondi runs a um a good program down there with young girls playing footy so yeah that's starting to do some good things as well and i think that just creates a culture of football which we're trying to in, you know, encourage right and i think if we can create that environment whether it's at the sharks or wombats we're all in this together um the, the end goal is to raise the profile of the sport for people that live here um, and if we can get them more involved with what we do and vice versa, it keeps the numbers on the track. And like you said, it's, it's often difficult to get, you know, some people down to training. Um, so, you know, training for five people is tough. So we want to try and encourage as much involvement as we can. Yeah, that's fair enough. It's, it's good to see that uh, the two clubs get along so well and work together. So as um, Alex, you mentioned, you've got 400 plus kids that you need to worry about. And obviously, um, you know, getting uh, you know, apparel and clothing and all that doesn't come cheap. And so sponsors, I feel like, would, make, would be a big thing for the Sharks. Do you guys find it hard to get sponsors for Singapore or is it sort of it's not as hard as I would think it would be? I don't think any club president anywhere would ever say that getting sponsors is, is, is an easy thing um, for obvious reasons. But it's interesting because if you think about, you know, your typical country football club say in australia right and, and you think about the typical um you know profile of the sponsors you'll have maybe the local pub you'll have possibly the the panel beating shop you'll have maybe the local accountant that kind of thing a lot of small businesses now the problem we've got in singapore is that a lot of there's a lot of australians here but they're working in big corporates now anyone that's somewhere in the middle of a big corporate finds it actually quite difficult to suddenly convince um, people who run that corporate to to start doling out cash to to a sporting club, let alone anywhere else. Um, so it's actually not quite as as easy as it may seem. Um, however, we are very privileged in that um, because of our network here, um, we do have access to some people um, who you know are in some quite important positions um, on 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 quite um, you know quite big big companies. And so if you look at the profile of our sponsors. Um, you know, we've got some big familiar names there. We've got um, Vizzy, we've got Jones Lang, um, LaSalle, Michael Page, one of the world's biggest recruitment groups. Um, and then we've also got um, Dallas Bar and Restaurant. Um, if you're ever in Singapore and you, you want something to eat and something to drink, get down to Dallas Bar and Restaurant. 
also Honan Insurance. We need to um, we need to give them a shout out as well. Yeah, very nice. Um, it's good to have some some big sponsors there, and like he said, you, you need every every bit of help you can get when you got that many kids to to help uh, get gear onto and things like that. Um, but one thing we've also learned about through some of the other Asian clubs is the work they do within their communities and um, not only just helping spread football and, and bring football to sort of the, the native kids around, but, you know, also helping out in local communities. Uh, do the Sharks do anything like that over there in Singapore? Well, it's interesting, you know, we, we often get asked this, this question. So Singapore is, is a little bit different from a lot of the, the Asian clubs. So you've got you to remember that with Singapore, where you know we're, we're in a country that's probably got the highest standard of living in the whole of Asia. Um, it's a first world country, so often I get asked by um, our rep from AFL Asia, you know, what are you doing about maybe sponsoring an orphanage, that kind of thing. Um, there aren't that many orphanages um, in Singapore, so um, you know the opportunities for charity work here are not the obvious ones. I mean, we're not like you know. You think about Brett Kirk setting up his um, footy academies in places like India. You know that that's really not our profile. It's it's very very different. So um, the kind of charity work we do do will just be more sort of financial donations to you know various charities from time to time. But there isn't quite that opportunity that we have, particularly now with COVID nineteen and we can't travel anywhere. Um, we don't really have much of an opportunity to go and um, do the kinds of work that perhaps you see. Um, with the clubs in Indonesia, for example. So um, Hordo mentioned before some of the work that um, the Bali Geckos have done. I know also the Jakarta Bintangs um, do a lot of fantastic work with the, um, with the Indonesian um, junior players as well. Um, we just don't quite have that same opportunity in Singapore. So it's more financial donations, um, you know, where and when um, we can without, without running specific programs. No, I think that's probably a good problem to have, not not to have enough poor people to help out, I guess, is, um, you know, a place like Singapore where the, the standard of living is a lot better than some of the others. But um, there's some great, great clubs doing great things. And like you mentioned, Bintangs and the Geckos, which is, um, yeah, and even just going over and playing in the, the Bali Masters is, is helping them those guys with their programs that they're doing over there. And um, it's, it's one thing we've learned about these uh, footy getting played all across Asia is that you are sort of a lot more of a tight knit community within the Asian countries than we would even imagine. Like uh, for us, you know, outside of our league, we couldn't give a shit about what's going on over in some other league or some other teams. And the fact that you guys, um, you know, have teams in Hong Kong that you'll play and work together with and, and then head over to Bali and do that stuff is uh, pretty remarkable. But before we wrap up, we'd uh, like to know what's, what's from each of you's point of view, what's been the biggest highlight of being involved in, in the Sharks, whether it be an on-field moment or, you know, seeing one of these kids go on and, and dominate somewhere? That's a great question. Um, I reckon the thing that I'm most proud of as a club is seeing the growth that we've had in our kids. Um, the 
the growth that you see over the years through the program that are running and, and to the point where the kids are now getting into the under 15s and the seniors and they're, they're holding their own is quite incredible. Um, you know, the, the term how good's Asia, how good's footy in Asia is always thrown around and it is. Um, and to think that we're, we're kicking this little ball around in Asia, you know, away from Australia, that we're, it is foreign. Um, you know, we've got 42 plus different nationalities playing it up here um, is quite incredible. So that's something I'm incredibly proud of. Obviously, um, participating and playing for the Sharks in, in Bali every year is just an absolute highlight and, and honour and something that I'll treasure uh, forever, um, as Hordo kind of touched on too. You know, you make mates for life through those experiences and I think even through the the Wombats as well and, and those tours that you do, um, a lot of fun and a lot of meeting a lot of really good people who have a common interest in footy. So, yeah, that's a real highlight. Yeah, nice. What about you, uh, Mark? What's been your biggest highlight? Um, I think Murph stole them all, really. But I think just watching the kids develop, um, watching the kids develop and have an opportunity. I mean, I've got a few kids. I've got four and the little ones are five. And just watching them, the last two years I've been playing in the, the junior program and the older ones, 10 or 11 now, and they kind of look up to his big brother and their sister as well played. But just them wanting to get down there every week and asking me every year, can I tackle this year? Can I tackle this year? Are we playing games this year? Just the enthusiasm, the excitement of them. Uh, and watching the kids they play with and train with develop is really big. Um, I think Murph touched on the the older kids that are in this kind of this 15 or 12, the under 15, so the 15, 16, 17 and up, um, and giving them a gateway to allow them to continue playing that sport um, with a bunch of beat up old men who can't keep the footy anymore. Um, but we've obviously got some great players amongst us. So, yeah, I think giving them that gateway and the opportunity to, to mix it with bigger bodies and to be a bit more disciplined about what they do and to kind of drill a bit harder, um, I think that's a real big plus as well. Um, the female the, the female content or the girls program, I think is a that's something which we should be really proud of because that is, that is dynamite at the moment. And I think it's something we need to continue. And the MF just said the last part about Bali. It's just, yeah, I think the whole thing is just a, it's a good release. And, you know, Al mentioned about the big companies that are here in Singapore and we've got a diverse group of parents across the board. And I think for me personally, um, the coaching and the playing um, has probably given me an outlet from the stresses of my white collar job. You know, we're pretty, most of the people that are working here are professionals. Um, we don't have tattoos. We've got all our teeth. unlike most of the people we play in Bali, but um, I think we've got <laughs> one tap amongst the whole team, but, um, but you know, we, but I think the stresses that I see in my workplace and I have there um, for my own mental health, and we've talked a lot about this with other people, um, the release that football gives me is incredible. Yeah, it's uh, something that you take for granted, I think, sometimes. And I think this year having, you know, us not getting to play and Ed Dogs now going on two, two years without getting to play a game of footy, uh, you mm. You um you start to realise how much you do rely on that release and getting out there and having a kick with your mates and and when it's it's not until it's sort of gone that you start to realise that how important it is in your life. Uh, but you guys yeah. have both done so uh, had some there's pretty one, diplomatic one, answers there. Um, but what about <sighs> you, Alex? What's your what's been your biggest highlight, mate? And make make it something a bit more selfish, you know, kicking <laughs> a goal against or something. Come on. Um, well, getting getting a kick against um, some of these um, you know, fantastic um, players that we have in this um, this senior team. Um, look, no, honestly speaking, um, the guys sort of touched on a couple of the things that um, I was you know would have put as my highlight. I think 
um, you know, the 400 players, the hundred over 100 girls, uh, we've got 25% um, female representation on the committee. Um, so, in, you know, in terms of building a big inclusive club, you know, very proud of that. This year in particular, though, I think has been a really special highlight. Um, you know, we, at the beginning of this year, we lost our venue, okay? Um, the whole country was in lockdown. We honestly didn't think that we would be able to play at all. Um, Mark did a fantastic job. He was able to find us a, a venue at short notice. And, and when we say find a venue at short notice, it's pretty difficult to find um, a field size in Singapore in a country as small as Singapore um, that's got enough space to hold 400 kids. And we have to run through, we start at one o'clock in the afternoon. We go through to 7 p.m. at night. Um, we have to, we run a Monday night training as well. Um, to get all of that set up um, with literally about three or four weeks notice after our lockdown finished, and then, and then run a program with limited to groups of five. We had to check people in with QR codes, take their temperatures. It was unbelievable. It was like a military operation. So, you know, the work that the committee um, and all the parents have done this year to get this up and running is, uh, I, I think, incredible and will be, um, you know, certainly the thing I remember the most. Uh, that's, that's awesome. And, um, Mate, I might have to take a grab of what you just said with that last part and share that all over social media because all we've heard for the last couple of months is all the bitching and complaining about everyone's life's been turned upside down and all you've been asked to do is stay at home and not bloody go anywhere. Um, but the the lengths that you guys are going to, to to make sure these kids just get to get out there and have a kick of the footy is, is nothing short of amazing. And um, like I said, mate, we had a hard enough time telling 10 blokes that you're going to have to train on one half of the field and the other half were going to train over there and they'll all the water bottle the water bottle issue that was the biggest one oh yeah (laughs) mate bring your own water bottle fucking now you you never seen guys up in arms over something that's so trivial um but now you guys are doing an amazing job over there and um i look forward to to following along with you guys uh, on social media and seeing how it all goes uh, over the next couple of years for you. And like, mate, I'm a hundred percent being genuine. If there's anyone that's coming back to Victoria and they're moving over back to the Southeast of Victoria, you send them our way and uh, we'll, we'll try our best to, to keep, keep the, the skills going for them and so that they can uh, keep going with their footy careers. Um, but yeah, we wish you all the best for everything. Hopefully you guys don't end up in any more lockdowns or anything like that. And it all goes uphill for you guys there. Um, and thanks again for joining us tonight. Wonderful. Thanks very much, fellas. It's, it's been an absolute honor tonight to sit in and, and chew the fat with you blokes and talk footy. Uh, mate, we appreciate, really appreciate it, boys. Yeah. Thanks guys. Thanks again. And uh, all the best. Good on you fellas. Thanks very much. You're doing a great thing. Thanks very much. Thank you. Cheers, guys. Thanks for watching the Cobra Cast with the present VP. And if you need somebody to talk to, why not contact New Life Psychology in Berwick? They are now taking phone appointments. Or you could head to otlr.com.au for tips and info. And we are supporters of TAC's Towards Zero campaign. Head to towardszero.vic.gov.au for more info because zero is the only acceptable number.
Hey Siri, play the Cobra Cast with the present VP.